Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping. I'm Leslie Harris, and I'm happy to have you join us again on this gardening show where I talk about, well, sort of everything that might occur to me, horticulturally speaking. We're going to have a plant of the week, we're going to have a fantastic interview, and we're going to have the playlist, which tells you what you might be doing in your garden this week and what to listen to while you're doing it. Our interview is with Peggy Cornett, who is the curator of plants at Monticello. That's going to be fascinating always, but I asked her some questions about how it went during the pandemic. Well, the more drastic part of the pandemic. And it was interesting to hear how Monticello took advantage of the fact that they had to close down for a couple of months. The plant of the week is named after Jefferson. Now, he was quite the quite the gardener, as you know, and this has a bit of a title to it. It's called the Jeffersonia defila, but most people call it twin leaf. It's an adorable little plant that grows in woodland, although be, it, so it loves to be under, say, a deciduous tree because it will love that early sunlight in the uh, early spring before that tree leaves out. Yet lots of spaces like that tend to be dry because of tree roots. So just take care that the soil isn't too, too dry. It grows to about 18 inches, but it flowers in April or May with a, an adorable white flower, probably at about eight inches tall, and then it continues to grow from there. So it's not one of those spring ephemerals that has its show and that disappears. This worries me because I planted a few of them last year and I thought it was a spring ephemeral because I never saw them sort of after June. Hmm. Could be a shopping opportunity. Um, the other thing to know about Jeffersonia defila or the twin leaf is, oh, by the way, it's called that because although botanically it only has one leaf there, it's, it looks like two adorable little clones of each other just sitting right there. It's only grown in zones five through seven. And just a quick review on agricultural zones, or if you're like me, horticultural zones, the lower the number, the higher north you are. And so Florida, I believe is down in zone 10 here in Charlottesville, we are seven a and I always used to be vague about, oh, seven, I think. Yeah, seven. Um, seven, I was also seven in Connecticut because we were close to the coast. The trick to remember 7A or 7B is that B means bottom. So for instance, seven goes into North Carolina and that is the bottom of zone seven. It's kind of fun to push the limits on your on these zones. For instance, I do grow things in my garden that are zone B and we are not in the bottom of zone seven, but I try to do them in places that are very um, protected in my yard, such as near hardscape or out of the wind. You know, hardscape can act as a little solar panel and keep things as, at a warmer microclimate in your yard. So you might have some places like that to tuck in some things that are sort of pushing the limits. So what's going on in the garden this week? Really, really springing. I mean, we have so many things in bloom that I'm looking around at, at my clients and at my yard. I have this amazing camellia that I inherited. It's a camellia japonica, but therefore not native. However, gorgeous. It's a pink flower, not bubblegummy, but a beautiful, strong pink with white variegation. The cultivar is Herme, H-E-R-M-E. I have trained it to be a standard. It used to be a bush, but I wanted to see out the bottom of it because it's sitting right by my glass porch. And so I trained it into a lollipop, and I also wanted to keep it low enough so that I could see those beautiful flowers. Unlike our interview from last week with Kelly Norris and, and, and the recommendation to let things go a little bit wild in your garden, I tend to have a, a tighter grip than I probably should. But hey, it's whatever makes you happy. It's your garden and you should do what you want to do. I like to prune. 
what else is going on? Oh, I'm so excited about my new plants that Matt Berry and Dos Amigos put in. These hemlocks are native. The river birches, which will apparently attract 400 different types of caterpillar. They are both native and they also put in some beautiful little rhododendrons. And I researched and I said, hey, can you get these? Because they are rhodes and they are native. And he said, yes. And he did it. And right before I hit record, I went to look for the name of that and I couldn't find it. Sorry about that, but I will get it to you because they are great plants. And I think they're going to cover up a, a kind of a, just one of those places in my yard because it's, you know, it's such a new garden still. It's only seven years old and I still am battling ivy everywhere. So this was my last big chunk of ivy that I ripped back and um, these guys planted these beautiful new roadies for me. Only three more weeks till historic garden week. I am very excited about that and only very slightly panicked. Not panicked. I mean, people, it's a garden. People, there are going to be weeds. There are going to be some messy bits, but there'll be some interesting bits. And I, and I hope you all get to go to all, you know, get your ticket and go to all the gardens here in Charlottesville. Coming up, we're going to talk with Peggy Cornett, the curator of plants at Monticello. Right now, this is Into the Garden with Leslie Harris, sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie, broadcasting on News Radio WINA, brought to you by Dos Amigos Landscaping. I'm Leslie Harris, and today we're talking with Peggy Cornett, who is the curator of plants at Monticello. Thank you for joining us, Peggy. Thank you for having me. It's great. I miss I miss Monticello. When Jeff and I moved to town back to Charlottesville about six years ago, it was like we had a bunch of friends come and visit us and it was our go-to. I felt like I was there half a dozen times that first year. And I just keep, you know, anytime a house guest wants to go, I'm like, I'm there. I might not tour the house every time, but I'll walk through that garden. I'll sit, you know, looking out over the sea view. I love it. So I miss it. So, so what's been going on? How have you guys been doing? Well, we're doing really well. Um, You know, uh, when COVID first hit in back in March of 2020, we, we had to close uh, for three months. So we were, and that was in March, March through April and May, which was the peak of the tulip season mm-hmm. and um, planting in the vegetable garden and the, and everything which is evolving through the seasons, but uh, we couldn't really show it to the public a lot in, in a live way. <laughs> but um, did you just over- keep that? I was, did you just keep that optimism that gardeners have? Like, did you go ahead and plant those tomatoes or whatever, and just hope that maybe what did you do? We let it all take place. I mean, we were posting on Facebook and 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 not trying to, you know, make people feel bad for not being able to come. But we were we we kept the garden going. We kept the um, we did a lot of uh, projects too as well on the on the gardens uh, in the grounds area that you know like some tree remo- removal that would be very disruptive during when we were open. But yeah, basically we let it, we opened, you know, in the summer, but uh, um, we've had limited attendance. We've had, we've still capped the attendance each day. So um, we people are encouraged to, to um, buy tickets online so they, that they don't get closed out. Okay. Uh, so we're being very careful um, and it's, everything is, um, you know, we don't have, <clears throat> the house tours were changed so that you're not really going on a tour anymore. You're, um, we have a lot of outdoor um, orientation going on with tents and people are allowed to go through the house in small groups without a guide. They're just um, uh, guides are stationed there to uh, interpret to them. And uh, so that people aren't crowding up inside because it's a small house, as you know, and very hard to be socially distant um, in that situation (laughs) outside. You know, we we also had a lot of outdoor all through the summer. We had uh, tents, set up outside with um, uh, stations for garden tours and slavery Monticello tours. And people 
would come and um, uh, would be uh, there for uh, less than 20 or 30 minutes to talk to the guide and then they could go on, but they weren't led on, on formal tours, you know, this season. So it, it, it must feel very yeah. interesting. I mean, on a beautiful spring day at Monticello, you can be expected, uh, you know, inside is going to be crowded. Outside, you're going to see scores and scores of people around you. And now is it dozens? How many? Yeah, it's, um, uh, well, I think they, it changes uh, the, the, the uh, number of people we can allow in per day. But I think it's it's getting over 700. Oh. And um, so we, uh, we have lots of people walking around, but it's not huge crowds and yeah. big groups we're not we don't have you know large school groups running through the gardens and, do you do you happen to know the number before the pandemic of how many people came through on a normal day well, on busy days we'd have um you know upwards of 2,000 a day or oh, wow more so it, yeah it's definitely been a hit wow <laughs> and, um but it, you know um and over the winter we also uh closed for two days a week which we'd never done in the past but we felt it was uh, prudent to do that. So from January in January and February of this year, we were closed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, so before that time, we were open every day of the year except Christmas. Yes. So, yes. I remember um, that. Well, we always, that's our, our go-to line about when we're open. So, uh, but besides, so was, besides tree work, and that was a really good um, thing to take advantage of because tree work is, is very disruptive. Were there any other big changes that you were able to take advantage of, you know, during your closing? Well, um, the, the grounds crews could make noise all day long <laughs> with their equipment. And um, uh, one of the main things we, we were able to finally complete was this, uh, was a deer fence that we installed, but it's really not that visible to the public. It goes through the woodland, the woods, and it runs over two miles. Um, wow. and it, it's a, it's one of those, um, pretty substantial fences that the same type of fence. In fact, it was the same company that, um, installed the fences on I-64 for the, Oh um, yes. Yes. Uh, Oh, I want to hear more about that. Hold on one second. This is Into the Garden with Leslie, and we're talking with Peggy Cornett, the curator of plants on News Radio WINA. And I'd like to remind listeners that the show is made possible by Dos Amigos Landscaping. So let's get back to that deer fence. So that was one of the first things I did on my little, you know, suburban property at the base of Lewis Mountain. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sharing. I'm sorry. Um, So two miles, what's it made out of? Well, it's, it's like a, um, I think it's a metal and it's 10 feet high. Uh, it's pretty substantial and the metal posts in the ground. It took several months to complete it. Um, you know, we had to hire in a company to do this for us. And, uh, in addition to the, to the, to the fencing, we also had to install a number of gates because it crosses the roads, roadways that run around the mountain. And, um, we're still working on a, a couple of areas where, where the public comes in. Okay. Um, it's, but if you come to Monticello today, you'll see a little bit of it as you go out the exit road. And, um, but it's not very visible because most of it, like I say, run, runs through the, the, the forest. So yeah. And that, that makes sense for them to, you know, they can stay on the other side of it to eat what they need to eat. Well, have you found yeah. any? Have you... <laughs> there are out a few that were inside that fence. I was going to uh, say, have they been bold enough to uh, stroll right in and try to buy a ticket? Yeah, that's they, they would. <laughs> they're lining up. <laughs> no, they. Um, um, you know, it's definitely helped a great deal um, because the, the deer pressure was really, really intense in the in recent years. I mean, we were able to put up with it for 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 a long time, and they would be you know they would start to become a real problem by the 
fall, but this was year round and um, really annoying. Has it changed? Your, so yeah. you're the curator of plants. Has this opened up some new things for you to plant? <laughs> well, at least we, we feel a little less um, insecure about putting things. I mean, it's because deer are a problem not only with your vegetable garden or your tulips, but they also damage your fruit trees and young trees that have been planted that have to be protected. They, they rub their antlers um, in the spring. And, and um, so it, it, it definitely has, um, you know, we're still, we still try to protect plants, and, uh, but, but it's definitely not as much pressure on us for that. That's fantastic. Well. So Peggy, um, you've been at Monticello for a while, and I was kind of remiss and did not offer any introduction um, other than, the, than your title. But can you tell us about when you started and how, it, how it's been in your tenure there? Yes, I've, I've been in Monticello for a very long time. I started it in 1983. Um, my first position title was um, Assistant Director of Gardens and Grounds. So I worked under uh, Peter Hatch, who's oh, yeah. pretty well known in the community. And um, we were kind of a team. I, I was um, part of my job was to, you know, propagate the plants for the gardens. And there are two production greenhouses Um in the gardens and grounds area, but I also was uh, in charge of, of starting the garden tour program. So I was training guides, hiring guides, and um, training them. And that's how we—I believe it was '84—that we started our first garden tours. And also, when I started at Monticello, we were just completing the restoration of the vegetable gardens. So that was quite a project. And um, the thousand-foot-long vegetable garden, 80 feet wide. Peter used to say I was a straw boss, so I would be out there with the gardeners um, helping in the garden, planting, and kind of overseeing what was going on. Oh, and that just... went on for about 10 years. Uh -huh. We started the Center for Historic Plants um, in 1986 mm -hmm. and hired a director, um, John Fitzpatrick. But when he decided to leave in 92, um, right before the 1993 um, 250th anniversary of Jefferson's birth, um, I was hired to be the director of the Thomas Jefferson Center for Historic Plants. So for 17 years, and then uh, my job changed and, and I became curator of plants and moved back to the mountain, uh -huh. back in the old old Gardens and Grounds building. And, and um, I, I kind of moved my office a bit, but I'm still curator of plants. And um, I not only, you know, help with garden interpretation, training guides and doing public speaking. I do, do a lot of lectures and writing uh, articles um, and and I also keep records uh, records of plants and try to post information on our um, garden explorer um, plant accessioning program and that sort of thing so yeah. I mean, what a, what a fascinating job I have to interrupt for a second this is into the garden with right. Leslie and we're talking with Peggy Cornett the curator of plants at Monticello on news radio WINA the show is brought to you by Dos Amigos Landscaping. And so you just touch on lists. So you're making lists, but we all know that, you know, the guy that you're sort of working for, Mr. Thomas Jefferson, was a list guy. So have you exhausted the information that he so kindly left in fairly legible handwriting in terms of <laughs> interpreting what his garden was in the day and then being able to implement whatever makes sense right now? Have you have you come to the end of that research and you're just going with it or is there always more to discover there? I think there's always more to, to discover. Um, Jefferson did write a lot. He was a, you know, a com compulsive record keeper and it, it, we're very fortunate. Uh, one of the best documented gardens in America. And um, he not only kept a garden diary, but he kept, he wrote many letters that talked about his gardens and he was 
making orders of uh, seeds and plants from nurserymen and, and um, friends in Europe as well as in America. So we have a great deal of documentation, but there are always things we're looking for, things we're um, curious about. Um, a lot of the, uh, there's lots of questions about exactly what he meant when he said uh, a forward pea in the garden or, a, <laughs> a, you know, and, and uh, we try to, to work these things out and we, it, it's, it's still an ongoing quest, but it's, um, we've definitely, you know, re returned a number of things to the garden. It was and fun. Of, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that I wish we had time. I want to um, pivot in a moment to some events that have changed. Um, you know, the pandemic has been so bad, and yet there have been some good things that have come out of it. And there's some programs that I want you to talk about that are now available online um, through your website. But this just makes me think that I've got to have you back on sometime soon, because if I were listening to this radio show, I would want Peggy to start talking about, well, what are you growing? What's growing well? You know, some real how to's on how to make the Monticello gardens look so beautiful. So so that's that's going to I'm just going to hold that over people's heads. But tell us now more about what they can do more immediately as this, you know, we're not quite through it as we're beginning to get our vaccinations. What can we do if we need a Monticello fix online? Well, we do a lot online. If you go to monticello.org um, and you can look for our live stream programs, um, podcasts are available if you just want to listen um, to some great interviews and discussions. We have a gentleman by the name of Bill Barker, who is um, our interpreter of Thomas Jefferson. So he's dressed as Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And he you probably are familiar with him, and he does a, he does an incredible job. So a lot of the um, there are a lot of um, regular live streams with him, and he's done some from the gardens as well. So you can go back and check on those. And um, we have a, I, I um, an administrator for a, a, a Facebook group called Monticello Farm and Garden, and so I invite everyone to join that because we try to post on uh, a regular basis uh, what we're doing in the garden, what's what's flowering, and um, I try to add a lot of histories about statements Jefferson might have made about the plant or its history in general, and um, we try to put on a, post a lot of pretty pictures and, and also announcement is, announcements of upcoming events. We have, um, in April, we're going to be doing a live stream on April 6th. Live stream I, on gardens or? Yeah, the garden gardens and one uh, event people might want to uh, check out is a uh, flower arranging workshop that's coming up in, in on April 10th and uh, the designer is Gregory Britt um, oh he's, he's wonderful that sounds like a great event I'm gonna I'm gonna actually put a link to this Peggy in my show notes so that people can get there thank you so much for coming on it was great to see you this has been a wonderful chat with Peggy Cornett the curator of plants at Monticello into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And coming up, we're going to talk about the playlist, what to do in your garden right now and what to listen to while you're doing it. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. That was a fun interview. Peggy wanted me to reiterate the events that you can find on monticello.org. And it's not too late to sign up for the April 10th virtual flower arranging event. And that is held by one of my favorite people who, should I, who I really should get on the show at some stage. And his name is Gregory Britt. He's a local designer, flower designer, who's, who's quite amazing and a wonderful person. So the playlist, some weekly practical information, what to do in the garden right now. So you see all the forsythia blooming. If yours is done and you don't like the shape of it, it's become too big or crowded for your yard. Anytime within the next month or two is a great time to prune it. 
once it flowers, those new blooms have time to set um, over the course of the summer. So it's not like you have to prune it right after it blooms, but pretty soon after it blooms, and then you shape it up and get it the way you want it for the rest of the summer. Any spring flowering shrub, you want to prune after it flowers. The new buds have time to set for next year. I have a confession to make, and that is about um, <clears throat> vegetables. So I don't know why it popped into my head to say this out loud, but I usually keep this thought inside of my head. And the thought is that, hmm, vegetables, wait, isn't that what farmer's markets are for? But I do grow some things with varying success. I grow enough to keep myself in salsa. So that means I grow some tomatoes and a few peppers. And I'm pretty good at, pretty good at remembering to sow cilantro every couple of weeks. And I do like to make the pesto. So again, that's, um, so that's basil. And I, you know, basil is a wonderful plant for um, those little those little leafed ones or the Thai basil, if you let that go to flower, that's a fantastic pollinator. But I do have wonderful gardeners on my crew, including Sydney, who told me what to tell you. And that is, you should, you can begin, and if you're, you're probably a better veg gardener, gardener than I am, so you've probably already done this, but now is the time to sow directly outside your cool winter vegetables, such as arugula, radishes, turnips, and beets, and any kind of lettuce or green. You can direct sow them into the ground. It's okay if we have a couple more frosts. If you're into the tomatoes and that sort of thing, and you want to start your own seeds, inside is great right now. And then just keep them, you know, read all the directions, keep them um, very humid and moist until they've germinated, and then let them have some air. If you have a cold frame to put them outside, that's wonderful to keep them going on. And as soon as they get a couple of sets of leaves, you probably want to start feeding them just a little bit. Read the directions. That's what I say. I am so proud of my daughter because she, she's, she is really into seedlings and she's got grow lights and she's got them all organized and each little cell has the name of the plant and a date on it. And I, I'm just like, wow, who are you? This is so cool. I don't think I have the patience for that, but she does and she's having a really good time with it. So um, you can get all kinds of cool equipment and keep yourself busy if it's, you know, particularly if you live in Connecticut and can't get outside as easily. That's a great thing to do down here. You know, direct sowing can be done right now and, and we just have more choice available. I'm also very proud of my son who just before I hit record on this sent me photographs of what I was talking about for containers a week or two ago. He got his containers for spring all set. Again, he lives in Connecticut, so he, you know, he's, he's going to be dealing with some cool temperatures for quite a while. So he got the regulars, pansies and violas. He got some hellebores. He got also, so he got lamium, which is a wonderful ground cover with a really beautiful um, variegated leaf, a kind of a silvery color was his choice, and a dianthus or carnation or pink. And he also got some forest bulbs. So all of those, oh, oh and some creeping jenny to, to flop over the side. So that's a kind of a, um, a lysimachia, that lime green one. And that is a perennial. So those perennials, the creeping jenny, the hellebores, the lamium, the dianthus will all be a little bit boring in his pots come June. And so he can then put them into his garden. And so he spent the money, but he won't be spending it again. He's got a nice collection of cared for perennials to put right in his garden beds to have year after year. He also got some forest bulbs from the nursery. And as long as he lets that foliage die off naturally, those bulbs again can be planted into his garden. So it's not a waste. Anyway, life is short. Get yourself some flowers if you want to make yourself happy. What to listen to you in your garden while you're fiddling around this week? How about Haydn's string quartets? That'll keep you busy for a while because he wrote 68 of them. You could get the entire collection on Amazon for $900 if you wanted to. 
me just turn on Spotify. So this was fun. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out to me on Instagram at LeslieHarrisLH, or you can email me at lharris at lhgardens.com. I want to thank our sponsor, Dos Amigos Landscaping. And I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I am really into my garden and I want to get you into yours. I'll see you next week. Bye.